Hi, this is Fahad. And this is A Touch of Truth with Jackie Cooper. Touch of Truth with Jackie Cooper, the Senior Advisor and Chief Brand Officer at Edelman. With over 35 years of business experience in brand, creative and personalized strategy. On Touch of Truth, you'll find wisdom from some of the most respected, trusted and successful people on the planet. And it might just make you a little more successful and a lot happier. Don't be afraid of the past. We've got history. We've got jealousy. Well, hello, Fahad. I'm so glad to welcome you to our Touch of Truth podcast. And I'm excited to talk about the myriad of areas in culture that you have been involved with. Welcome to the Touch of Truth. Thank you, Jackie. It's uh, an honor to be on your show, and it's um, really a pleasure to always speak to you. Thank, Thank you. you. Hello, honesty. How are you right now, at this time, in this place, in your life, business, and personal? So, for hard, we we call this the touch of truth because we try and get a little bit behind the stories of people who have actually trailblazed or had a really interesting life with areas of culture and business. And quite often we fall on popular culture or business, but you fall into both because you have this extraordinary career as a singer-songwriter, you're a businessman, you're a business backer, you've had experience in business with tech, with innovation. So with all of these things that will go down the path together and share some of your stories in these spaces. Can we start with the first question, which is, how are you? How are you right now at this time? How are you in your life, business and personal? How would you answer that? I would say, um, honestly, for the first time in, in, in a few months, I would say I'm good and I am, I'm happy and I am you know, just moved, as you know, I just moved back to Riyadh after 15 years away, which is crazy. And um, personally, I'm doing well, I think I'm trying to find the work life balance between uh, my family, my friends, and this new Saudi that I'm in. Uh, Business wise, kind of keeping things that I've started abroad afloat, while simultaneously trying to start new things in Saudi, um, check out the landscape and the ecosystem when it comes to music, but also when it comes to tech and other areas, because I'm interested in a lot. And I think that because of that, I've built a really strong network of different industries. So I'm just I'm just finding my way personally, professionally, but I'm good. How are you? (laughs) (laughs) You're the first guest that's ever asked how I am. I'm good, too. Thank you. Can you just tell us a little bit about your journey? Because you've had such a global life. Mm-hmm. both in terms of education, but also this dance that you've had between actually being an artist yourself as a singer-songwriter and then being a businessman. What was the thing you started first and what did you fall in love with first? So I, I grew up in, in Riyadh, but I, I traveled a lot with my family and I was also a professional equestrian. I was a show jumper. 
And that's what I thought okay, I, I was going to do. I did not know that until we had this conversation. <laughs> that's Every a time I talk to you, it's like you've done something else that's just extraordinary. So you've just thrown that in very lightly. That's incredible. Yeah, it, it really was. You know, and I, I couldn't have asked for a better um, thing to focus on while growing up, especially at that time. I don't think Saudi has had as much um, to do as 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 we do now. So that was my entire life. And I thought I was going to, you know, go all the way. My older brother has been to the Olympics twice. He's um, won Asian games. And um, I've won, won like many, I was like national champion for Saudi many years in a row. And then Jeez. I moved to Paris. Yeah. Um, I moved to Paris and then Florida. And I was writing and going to school at the same time. By school, I mean university. And um, I wasn't a very good student, to be honest. So I... I just didn't make an effort and I was writing and competing and trying to go to school, but I wasn't driven by anything. It was just this thing that I had that I thought that I really enjoyed because I was very good at it. And I do enjoy it, but I think there's a difference between something that you enjoy and you're really good at and something that really drives you every single day. So I was still searching for that in the back of my mind. And um, after four years of writing and going to university, first in Paris for two years, then I transferred to Miami uh, because Wellington in Florida is like the best place for uh, equestrian sports. I moved to New York. I graduated Friday. I moved to New York Saturday. No plan, nothing. I just knew that I wanted to stop writing and figure out what I wanted to do. And it was really a, a group of my friends who are incredible and saw something in me before I saw it in myself as an artist, but also, you know, I think as someone who recognizes things maybe, or companies that are going to do well. So a few of my friends started companies, um, and in tech, and they told me, you know, we're doing this. And I said, I want to be involved. Can I invest in it as an angel investor? And I was very young. I was 21, 22, perhaps. And I remember speaking to my parents and saying, I don't want uh, a car or a vacation or anything for my graduation. I just want, um, I just want like money to put into these companies. And it was very small check sizes and those companies did really, really well. And I simultaneously started dabbling in music. Um, I would say to answer your question, I fell in love with music first, but I was afraid to say that out loud. So I found other things to do while I was working on the music. And then when I finally released the music and it was getting attention and it was uh, at the time, hype machine was a big thing. It was like number one on hype machine and and all these things. I, I was struggling to figure out what I wanted to do um, between the two and other areas that I was interested in. But after you know a decade of, of doing both separately, I realized that I'm meant to do both at the same time, but I would say music came first, then my love for tech, because Music is kind of instant. You record a song or write it quickly, you release it, it gets attention. But with tech companies, you have to be patient and wait for them to grow. And for me to see companies that were nothing and then suddenly have tens of millions of users or revenue and become unicorns um, in front of my eyes, that was that was crazy. But that took longer, you know? Buy me flowers at midnight we kissed under the moon and like you say you release music and it got attention tell us a little bit about the kind of music and what you wrote and 
do you think that because you have a business brain, you were able to be smarter about how you got the music noticed and how you kind of marketed yourself? I, I don't think it was very intentional, to be honest, at the time, because there was this um, there was this imposter syndrome because I grew up not being able to be creative in any way. So I I was always thinking, who am I to think that I can write songs or sing? Um, and even when I allowed myself to do that, I was terrified of the reaction from family and friends and um, anyone back home. So I did it anonymously. I wore a mask at the time and... <laughs> I came up with a name and I just put it online and I didn't say much, to be honest. I just kept silent. And even in interviews, I was saying very little. And I think that actually worked in my favor because people could see whoever they wanted behind the music. And if you wanted to get to know me, you would listen to the songs because it was a free flow of emotion and lyrics. I never wrote down any lyrics. I just went to the studio and sang what was in my heart. Um, so I I started doing that and I put it online and started playing shows. I was living in New York City at the time, Lower East Side, and started talking to labels and it just it just happened. I don't I don't know to this day how it caught fire at the time, but I had a great team around me. I had a lot of people that believed in me. My friends would come to every single show, <laughs> and um, you know when you you know that sense of magic in a time and place when you think back and you're like. I can't believe that actually happened. That feels like it's someone else's movie or TV show. That's what it felt like. And yeah, sorry. Sometimes I have long-winded answers for very simple questions. So I apologize for no, that. I, I love that you. I love that you said it felt like magic because then it's that's when the stuff's really special. When there's some other feeling to everything coming together, and it just feeling like you're in the right place at the right time doing the thing that you should really be doing yeah and new 100%. york isn't an easy place to break into so no I think you're slightly underplaying the fact that you managed to do this while in a city that that's pretty tough to actually cut through it is but i i grew up spending almost every summer in new york three months out of the year so i was very familiar with it and a lot of my uh college or university friends moved to new york at the same time so i had a very good uh, support system and also my sister and cousin whose office i'm in now were going to columbia university at the time so i was pretty set in terms of the basics and uh, i think sometimes that's all you need in life whether it's a tough city or a village in the middle of nowhere if you have that ecosystem of your people you're fine so it's really interesting that I'm talking to you today and the first, first podcast we did was with Harris Reed, who I have worked with for a few years, who's a gender fluid designer who has mm -hmm. absolutely stormed to success in a really short period of time. He's dressed demand for the Met Gala and Beyonce for Vogue and Harry Styles for American Vogue and uh, has, has come in to help us with our Gen Z labs. And so he's... Our, our CEO and we're employing more CEOs but he was our first one to kind of come in and represent the voice of a generation that many clients don't really understand but when you talk about what you're doing and how you found your space it reminds me of how Harris talked about his journey because it took him a while really to find the 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 he fell in love with fashion very early on but it took him a while to be able to actually create fashion and bring it to the world and find his way of doing it his way. Mm. And he felt that he couldn't be him. And now at 26, 
he's being applauded by brands, companies, media, celebrities by exactly being himself. What what do you think stopped you feeling that you could do all of this originally? Was it that your family expected you to sort of go into hardcore profession rather than be creative? Or was it more that you just didn't feel you could find your wings and fly earlier? Uh First of all, I'm so impressed by, by uh, what they've done. I think that's uh, brilliant, and I can't wait to hear that episode. <laughs> and um, I, I completely relate to that feeling. I think, I think to answer your question, it was both. I, my, my worst, the thing that I hated the most growing up was when people asked me, where do you see yourself in five years? I never saw myself in five years. I didn't understand what that meant. And... Um, it was because I was afraid of what I really wanted out of life because I didn't want to disappoint anyone, especially my family. And also, I think I was afraid of failure. I think I really, really love my, my family. I love my country. I love my friends and I love the people that I grew up with. But sometimes when you have kind of like sometimes when you stand on the shoulders of giants and that's what I really feel like, it's very difficult to to take a step because you're afraid of falling or disappointing or any of these negative reasons. Um, and it's a slow process of unlearning that and only you can do that. So it took me a very, very long time. I would say a decade, you know, which is a very long time. Um, but I had one of my friends last year when I was living in LA tell me cause she's this amazing artist her name is Layla Blue and she's brilliant she's a singer songwriter and she's much younger than me and I was telling her you know I I feel like I'm kind of approaching this later I took a break and now I'm coming back with new music and new ventures and all these things and she said well you know I had a head start as in her she had parents that allowed her to do these things from a very young age so I can't compare myself to her and that really stood out to me and, and stuck with me so uh, yeah, I think, I think that happens so often and, um, it's a story that I hear all the time and I, I am trying to break free from that and, and be like, no, you're on the right path. You're doing the thing that you're meant to do. And, um, I really champion people, uh, like Harris and, uh, love stories like that because they're really inspiring to me and reaffirming to what I'm trying to do well you know you may be older than Layla but I'm a lot older than you <laughs> and I would say that it's a lifetime's journey I think that for people who don't go through a sort of academic journey which those of you who are listening who who know anything about me or anything about some of the things I've talked about on this episodes of touch of truth creativity often doesn't fit into a formal education system and you know my love of Sir Ken Robinson and then his daughter who's carried on his mission um, who's who's also appeared on this series is all about the fact that actually it's not the school system that we don't fit into it's that we are being failed by a system that doesn't help people who are creative and creativity is a commercial asset just as much as anything else without creativity where would we be so it's interesting that we have to help people who think slightly differently to believe in themselves so that they can continue to do that because that for me is what raises the ordinary to the extraordinary 
Mm. And you must have quite a lot of experience with that creative brain. How do you go into business meetings? Because you've got this creative brain and then you've got tech and innovation, which is sort of quite rigid in some ways, but needs, again, creativity to differentiate it or to make the offer compelling. How much of that creative sort of mindset do you bring into tech ventures? All of it. I think I tried to keep things separate when I was younger. And I thought that was the professional thing to do is to just try to wear one specific hat um, in whichever meeting I was in. But now I, I show up fully as myself and I talk about my music as much as I talk about other things because I think that brings a different perspective. For example, yesterday I had a meeting about a, a real estate project um, that I'm just advising on. And I think, you know, I was just observing it. And then they asked me at the end, what do you think? Because we're interested in, in, in what you specifically think, because you have a very specific point of view. And um, I view it as an asset. And I, I, I come and I bring all of myself. And I think it, it benefits me on both ends. And I think we do a disservice to ourselves when we try to block a certain part of ourselves, because that's repressing it. That's energy being lost. Um, or you're telling yourself, like, no, that's wrong. That's not how you're supposed to think. You're supposed to think the way that you do think and whatever comes to you naturally go with it and, and run with it and, and, and like build that into a, an engine that drives change and innovation. So yeah, I, I come a hundred percent myself these days, but it took a long time to get You've here. You've danced around, you have tech, innovation, music, songwriting, and of course the equestrian thing, which is news to me today. <laughs> Did one thing lead to another? Does one thing feed another? Does one thing make everything better? Yeah, music makes everything better. You know, music is <laughs> is is my my therapy in in terms of listening to it, but also making it. And uh, I think that's that's such that's such a big statement for me to say because there, I'm it's still rooted in a sense of I'm not supposed to do this or say this. So it's a very the more that I heal that part of myself that wants to be a musician and an artist and a creative, the better I feel as a human. So that's what it comes down to. But then I had to make choices. You know, I can't do all of it. I can't do all this and be an equestrian. I can, but I'm probably not going to have enough time. So I think I reached a point in life where I realized, okay, what are the main things that I want to focus on and how can I get support to, but yeah, they all feed into each other. My tech work got me some music gigs. Like I opened for really big bands at South by Southwest because I had a tech connection that really loved my music or some of my music would be put on ads for, um, for tech companies. So yeah, I think cross pollination is great. As long as the, maybe the secret is to be fully yourself. Cause then there's no disconnect between these different aspects of who you are. I have to ask you about South by Southwest. I mean, that's a collision <laughs> of tech and, and brands and a monster experience. Yeah. What was that like for you, for this, the man, but the boy inside that was like, goodness me, I'm actually on the stage doing this thing that I love. It was it was incredible. And I think it came a bit prematurely because it just happened. And I was simultaneously part of this really big campaign in New York Um and I did South by Southwest and I opened for Haim, which is a huge band and I'm a big fan of theirs. Good and um, yeah, I mean, and, and a lot of amazing other people, um, Fletcher was performing. She wasn't as well known, but I am a huge fan now. And for me to look back and see photos of me and these, you know, people are sharing a green room with them. It was definitely a, a pinch me moment. And um, I, 
I'm still sometimes thinking, how did that happen the way that it did? But uh, it was it was really incredible, and and to be surrounded by a tech community, but also be able to get on stage, but then get off stage and talk to my friends who are like tech CEOs, and having those worlds collide was uh, I don't I don't I haven't thought about it in a while, but it was it was a really it was crazy. The truth test. A few questions on truth from a self, human, and brand perspective. In these podcast episodes, we just let the conversation go where it goes, except for three questions, which I wanted to ask of everybody, just because I love the idea of a common thread. So don't always ask them in the same order. Um, But my first question is, what do you think is the biggest gamble you've ever taken? I think moving to New York with no plan, and it, it was the biggest gamble and still is, pushing forward with my creative endeavors and and standing firm and and me wanting to be an artist and a singer and a songwriter i think that will always be an issue for someone uh so it's always a gamble but it's you know i'm betting on myself and that's that's the way to win in life (laughs) did you know it was a gamble when you went or does it feel more of a gamble now you've come out the other side I, I definitely feel like it was more it's more of a gamble now because of two things. One, I was much younger and you can kind of get away with more when when you're younger. That's unfortunately how society works. And I was anonymous, so I could do a lot and I was fearless. I was I was hungry, I was fearless. I I had this drive in me. But now I think I'm more intentional about what I do. So it's a gamble, but it's it's more of I'm looking at my cards. I'm understanding what am I playing with? Who am I playing against? Or who's on my team? Versus before it was very random and chaotic. So I, I guess it's both. Yeah, I think you're a really interesting mix. And we've talked about recognizing this in each other, that a, a mix of this sort of very strong business strength, but also still keeping a softness and sensitivity to what you're doing and how you're going about it, which is probably why people want you to be on their business, because I think that's an unusual combination, especially in some of the industries that you're advising. Thank you. And I, I feel, you know, we've talked about this a few times and I feel exactly the same about you. And, you know, not to say anything negative about PR, but I've had some experiences that weren't so great. And and I've, I mean, you just blow me out every single time that I see you. Like, I, I'm, I'm amazed by you because the way that you talk about it and even the tagline for this podcast, which is um, the thing that I really like. There is no agenda to push, just the truth to be told. Exactly. And you said that to me once and it stuck with me. Um, mm. And that's how I try to operate in my life. So yeah, I think, I think that's important to have in anything that you do, especially in this day and age where we're more technically connected than ever, but then we feel worse than ever. So you got to bring that humanity to everything that you do. No job is too important for you not to be nice. I don't care who you are. I think that's so true. And I think, actually, my dad used to always say that. I talked about my dad a bit, but my dad used to always say kindness costs nothing. Mm. And then I learned just the other day that kindness is linked to kin, to kinship, which I didn't know the root of that language. So then it all comes together in terms of looking after your kin and being kind so that's really beautiful yeah i love that and i never knew that before thank you so my second question going to the negative now going to a negative 
What is the worst meeting you've ever been in in real life and why? Uh, I think the worst part about this is that I want to ask you all these questions back, but that's for another. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's bad probably to say this, but I, I don't think I've ever had a bad meeting necessarily because there was always something to be gained from it. And I hope that I'm emotionally intelligent enough to know what and who is someone that I connect with on a professional level and who I don't. So I don't put myself in situations that don't align. Or even if I do, I don't take anything personal. I try to learn from it. But I think probably, I don't know if this counts as meetings, but I had a, a lot of <laughs> a lot of difficult meetings with academics, um, growing up <laughs> teachers, professors, <laughs> deans, um, <laughs> <laughs> so so relate that, to that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, my report card was constantly must try harder <laughs> and if only jackie could concentrate she might stand a chance that's, and that's I the still feedback have a that i got that concentration you know that concentration thing has never been a good thing for me and then there was this lady when i was in college called mrs snowden still remember her to this day and she wasn't young then mm. and she turned around to me and I was 16 and she turned around to me and she said Jackie when you find what you want to do you'll be great at it wow. and it changed my life actually because I never had had anything positive from a teacher before isn't it and incredible then, how like one person or one, one sentence sometimes could change your entire life especially at, at that formative age where you pretend you don't care about anything or anyone but like you're absorbing all of it it's so true. You do, you do. You pretend that you don't care, but then, and maybe you don't even know yourself that you really care. And then someone says something like that and you think, oh my goodness, this actually helps in ways I didn't even know I needed to be helped. Yeah. And so Ken Robinson wrote this book, Finding Your Element. And I, I could hear Mrs. Snowden's sort of voice in my head, you know, because his whole you know, his whole premise was if you find the thing that you love, to your point, if you find the thing that you have passion for, then you will find your element and you'll do it well, whatever it is. And, and you think you have to go for commercial gain, but actually maybe that's not the thing that's going to find your absolute passion point that you're going to do brilliantly because all of your being is understanding that that's what you should be doing. Now, obviously, in this world, we don't all have that choice. But his point is, even if you find something that you can do in your spare time that you love and that feeds your soul, then everything else is better. So absolutely, I think we can all do it a bit. I don't. I know we can't all have a job that we love all the time, and who does? But um, that's rare. But but just at least to find your element. Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's that's the advice that I give a lot of my friends that come to me with passion projects, and I always say, just do it until it be it, it becomes big enough for you to leave whatever your day job is if that's what you want but don't i think there's too much at stake when you're like i'm quitting everything and just doing this one thing it's a very lonely isolating experience um so don't do that unless you're slowly growing it and convinced that a it's going to be successful but sometimes also i think something we're lacking in life is um we don't experiment enough we don't try enough things we think we know and we think we like and i I don't know. And you don't know because we change as humans as well. So I think that's an important element of it is, is self-discovery. That's what I try to encourage my younger sisters and cousins is just try it all. You don't know. Yeah. And I think there is pressure that somehow you're supposed to know, but yeah, we have so many different stages in our life. And 
I see youngsters now struggling to see what their tomorrows are like. Mm-hmm. And of course, when you're young, you feel like there's this tremendous rush. And when you come to the other end of the spectrum as I am, you think, well, actually, it's all helped. I think you learn as much for the terrible things, to your point about bad meetings. I think you learn as much as uh, from, from what's broken in businesses and broken in people's behaviour as you do from the good stuff. I certainly have. I, my first agency I ever worked at was very hit and miss and was run by an ex-Financial Times journalist who was literally old school with a cigar outside of the corner of his mouth and two fingers on a portable typewriter and shouting out through his office. <laughs> it was, you know, <laughs> like being in some weird TV show, but I that's, learned That's so what much. I visualized. I feel like we need a, a Lifetime Jackie Cooper movie. it wouldn't be that interesting that people would be walking out in droves (laughs) i I don't believe that for one second (laughs) so my third question who is the best person that you've ever met in real life and why did they inspire you oh this one is uh this one makes me emotional because it's it's not one person. It's it's the woman in my family. To be honest, um, even just sitting here at my sister's office that she's built from from scratch, and my mom and and the way she was always there for us growing up, and the way that she's always there for me now. So my eldest sister is called Mshal, my younger sister is Sara, and then my mom's Jawahar. And I feel like those are the three probably most important people in my life. But all the women in my family, I have five aunts um, who are all second moms to me. I have four sisters that are incredible. And I think just seeing them overpower their circumstance to do what they want, is it's it's like creating something out of nothing. And I I was always amazed by that, but also more importantly, by how kind and giving and thoughtful they always were. And maybe that goes back to the point that you were talking about before and bringing that humanity because they always had that element in everything that they did and they still do. So I I don't know why I'm so emotional about this, but they really, they really um, are, are my champions. And I I love my brother. I love my dad and my uncles and my grandpa was an incredible person as well. And my grandmother, but it's the women in my family that really stood out to me. Vision of truth. Can you see the future? Can you change the future now? Given that you've had a sort of interesting journey to get to find your mojo and to find all the places that you actually want to kind of stretch your muscles now, how do you see the future in terms of going forward and how do you see particularly the future in these cultural areas? You've got such strength, fashion, music, songwriting, innovation. How do you see the future and how do you see your part in planning for your tomorrows now with these cultural areas? I think it's rediscovering my younger self because I I left... Saudi and I left Riyadh when I was 17 and it's coming to terms with that and understanding what do I really want to see happen um, in terms of the local ecosystem that I would have benefited from at that age and maybe I wouldn't have had to leave to come back full circle but for me 
personally, it's about um, stepping into who I am as an artist. I think I've been working on a lot of really good material when I was in lockdown. And then when I moved to LA with some amazing producers and co-writers, which I've never done before, I've never co-written anything, but I really wanted to take it to the next level. So I'm excited about releasing the new music, um, helping people, not just locally, but globally in whatever capacity that I can. And I think I've touched on that with my previous work, even though it was anonymous, it gained a following in so many different places like Mexico, Berlin, um, Germany in general, and Russia and China and the US and the UK and Saudi. So I think amplifying that and doing more of that and being very visible in my work is uh, the biggest challenge, but that's where I see my future creatively. I think in terms of innovation and tech, I want to start a venture studio. I helped launch a fund in LA last year that was focused on consumer goods, uh, but I really believe in the integrity of technology, specifically social technology and making sure that we're building things that are actually helping humanity. And I started a company in, in London called Picnic that focuses on the the bright side of, of social tech and how do we create tools that actually benefit people. So I think doing more of that in every aspect of, of, um, of tech. Obviously, I moved back to Saudi, so I want to focus more on the local scene when it comes to tech, when it comes to music. Uh, I attended a, a conference, which is called XP Music Futures, and it's really beautiful to see this happening now and I get to go and mingle with local Saudi artists, but also global people that are here for that. And uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm in a very discovery mode. Like I'm very humble about the fact that I was living abroad for 15 years and I'm back and I'm trying to just understand how I can help out, but also how I can reaffirm what I want to do and double down on who I am as an artist, who I am as a, as a supporter of tech in any capacity, but also simultaneously helping support local tech uh, founders creating more sustainable tech solutions for us that have integrity and that actually benefit humanity. And, you know, I don't, I don't see like a local versus international thing. I think like you are where you reside in terms of the people that you see often, but I want to have a global footprint. So it's maybe this reversal of like, I went everywhere and had a footprint everywhere, but now I want to stay put, but then grow into a more international audience. I know that's a lot, but basically I want to be a really successful singer, songwriter, creative, and I want to have a venture studio or a fund or, and I, I do already, but I want to grow that into something really big, but doing good tech work, not just like we're in it to create the next big thing. Like I, I always think, is this going to benefit me? Is this going to benefit my friends? Cause we have to ask those questions every day. Otherwise we're, you know, we're on the wrong side of, of history in my opinion, because everything is at stake. That's what it feels like. Can I unpack that a little bit? Because everything's at stake and good tech, those are things that are pretty hot news right now. It's mm. hard to find good behavior in tech. And history is being quite hard, I think, with economic hardships. And, you know, I'm deep into understanding Gen Z and understanding how that generation can be served properly and helping our clients serve them properly because they're inheriting an earth that's got a lot of issues with climate, with health, with financial pressure. How do you see good tech? How do you see being on the right side of history? What do you look for to help companies that you think are going to be on the right side of history and, and be helpful rather than just exploitative? 
I think in any industry that you get involved in, you need to understand the landscape and the research behind everything and be intentional, you know, whether it's it's an app for you to text your coworker or it's an app for you to meditate, it has to be backed by by data and research is this actually benefiting people. So for example, like I'm in my sister's office now and my cousin who's also like my sister and they started this company called Aeon Strategy, which is also a research collective that's focused on sustainability and as they call planetary repair and climate change issues. So I work with them a lot and try to understand what can we actually do to repair our planet and what can we do to support things that are actually going to benefit the entire ecosystem globally. So I think in whatever area that I get involved in, even in the real estate project yesterday, or even in fashion, I'm understanding like, how can we create IDs that go with every article of clothing? So it's not, re, you know, it's repurposed and putting a little, like sometimes the line is here and you just got to go there. It's not even going a crazy amount of time. Just ask one more question. Like, is this good for us? Is this good for me? Is this good for my sister, my friend? Like, and a lot of people don't want to hear that because they just want to, they want to pretend that they're living in the 1980s where it was like profits above everything but we're not that you know and we haven't been that for a long time and I don't think we should have ever been that and that's why we're in the position that we're in so you know we gotta we gotta just step it up in everything that we do just asking more questions getting more data more research and then testing it out with the right parameters not just like what's the retention rate is this going to make how much money per user am I gonna make yes those are important metrics but also add to it is this sustainable? Is this good? Is this making people happier and healthier, less lonely? Um, and that applies to everything across the board, real estate, tech, music, all of it. It's so interesting because we have so much data at Edelman over the years about what drives trust mm. and this notion of belief-driven buying and that the companies that have the same values as we have, if we can afford to, those are the ones that in the high 80 percentages we choose to pick over those who do not share our values. And so we absolutely see the purpose part of brand behavior coming into core business strategy, core financial strategy, whereas it used to be sort of an add-on in the marketing space. Mm -hmm. It now has to be baked into the corporate strategy, not even the brand strategy, the actual corporate company strategy. And so it's interesting that from a funding point of view or a support point of view, you're asking those questions as well, because in this bit of talking about, you know, what is our vision of, of the future? What's the truths that we see in tomorrows we do need to change the future now those decisions that you're making will help us make tomorrow better which is what actually so much of the population is asking those of us who have influence to do yeah 100 percent. and i i see you doing your part in that and i i really uh, i recognize it and i appreciate it so much touch of truth a story that affirms a personal impact on the planet and people because of the truth they shared. Can you think of a story that you can share with us where something has happened that really, I guess it's a nice segue from all the things you've just been saying, but is there a story that comes to mind that reaffirms for you something that's had personal impact on the planet or on people or on a mission because of a truth that they shared with you because they revealed something that was true for them and it had impact for you i would say for me you know to go back to the beginning when you asked how i am and i said finally i'm good or i'm happy and 
not to share too many details. Um, I remember when I was a kid, my friends would always tell me TMI, you know, like you gotta scale it back a little bit, but I, <laughs> I, I, I can't, you know, that's, I'm on the perfect show. A touch of truth is, is, is my kind of show. So I went through probably the most difficult time in my life for the past, since May, I would say. I'm good now, but I, I went through a very difficult health thing. And, and I've talked to you a bit about this. And I, I just didn't understand how, okay, let's go back to me. I was in, in New York and I needed to go to LA to do this very simple thing that I thought was going to be a breeze. And I had my whole summer planned. And I wrote this song called Nothing But Sunshine. And uh, Nothing But Sunshine was a very hopeful song about like, from here on out, there's nothing but sunshine. Like Life is amazing and everything's going to be rosy and perfect. And the next day I fly to LA, do this thing and it goes wrong. And I am in pain for months and I am trying to recover and I'm not. And I lost, you know, months from my life doing nothing because I was just in so much pain and I didn't understand how I got to that point. You know, I started hating that song because for me, it was like, you were such an idiot. You thought everything was going to be great, but then you got hit by the worst thing that's ever happened to you. And how can you be so naive? And I, I remember getting to this really dark place, honestly. People started to unravel around me. So my family and my closest friends started sharing with me stories that I've never heard before, telling me about their darkest day, their most painful moment in life. And I just, I looked at them and it's crazy to see these people successful and happy and thriving now after going through that. And when they went through that, I wasn't aware they didn't share with me that they went through such darkness. So the song took on an entirely new meaning for me. And this title, Nothing But Sunshine, was so much more important to me because all I saw was these people's sunshine. I didn't understand their darkness. I didn't understand their pain until they saw mine and they started revealing themselves. But the overarching thing was for me, you know, and I really am proud to say that I am in that place. Now I fought for that sunshine. I fought for that light in my life again. And I've seen so many people, my mom, my dad, my siblings, my friends talk to me about that and how they got through that. And that's how I, it like it completely transformed the meaning of the song, but that became one of the biggest life lessons that I've learned. And one of the biggest principles that I apply now is you got to fight for that sunshine. You got to fight for that light. Sometimes it's quietly on your own in your room. And sometimes it's loud and in public, but there's always that sunshine behind every rain cloud or dark day. And it sounds so simple. And, and people, I used to get upset when people would say, you know, happiness is a choice. You need to choose to be happy. But I, I think that's, the wrong way of saying it. You got to just put yourself on that path every single day. Say like, I believe that I'm going to get to this good place. I believe I'm going to get to the sunshine again. It feels really good for me to be able to say that and say, I'm in a good place. Finally, I had to have another procedure to be honest, to fix what went wrong. And I'm feeling great now, but it was that it, for me, that was the biggest impact I've had was all those people telling me their stories and unraveling and me understanding that you know, they fought for these lives that they have now and they fought for happiness and they fought for joy and they fought for sunshine. And I can too, and I have. And I think fighting for sunshine is a beautiful point. Like there's nowhere that it's written that it should just come. Yeah. You know, there's nowhere that it just pops in just because we want it. Mm. And I want to thank you for sharing that because it's deeply 
intimate and it's also highly full of resonance for so many people because it's true that when you're in something tough you can't imagine coming out and then when you're out you think of course I was going to come out of course I'm going to be okay and I think that's the case for personal things and professional things because we're (laughs) we're human beings who have a lot of spirituality around us and we're affected by what is great and we're affected by what is awful and we're constantly scrabbling to try and get some kind of balance in between all of those things i think you're right it's so much easier to talk about this when you're on the other side but i think it's important to a look back and acknowledge that for yourself and your self-improvement but also for other people to understand because you know if if those people didn't share their stories of perseverance with me maybe i wouldn't have gone through and and tried to get myself out of it Maybe I would have given up and said, you know, this is how I'm always going to feel. And my life is not going to be enjoyable anymore. But I, I, I really fought for that. And I took the necessary actions to get to this place. And I think that's really empowering. So that's why I shared it. It is really empowering. And I think from first meeting you, what I've loved about meeting you is that you've been so open to putting yourself into all kinds of experiences and you're truly global. I mean, we talk about global and I'm in a global role, but there are not very many people who've really had a global experience and had such a rich intersection of cultural and business and funding experiences. And I think you're very, you underplay what you've achieved and you've underplay how amazing your progress has been and I'm so glad that we got the chance to talk about this on a touch of truth I have a question for you though one last question (laughs) thank you Jackie first of all yes so you're about to do more amazing things with your songwriting and singing career are you going to be anonymous with that no (laughs) Uh, that's amazing yeah it's, it's it's really incredible. So I haven't released anything under Fahad yet, but I, I will soon. And I'm, I'm very, who knows, maybe when this podcast comes out, it'll be out. But I'm, I'm very excited about it because the music aligns with who I am exactly right now. You know, it'll, it changes, but I'm, I'm very proud of the anonymous project and I will keep it anonymous because I don't want to ruin the emotional attachment that those fans have to it. And I think it has its time and place. So I, I I don't think I, I will try to not talk about it publicly as Fahad because um, it was a magical time and it still holds a lot of, I think, emotional attachment to, to certain people globally. So, But it feels really nice to be able to just say, hi, I'm Fahad, I'm from Saudi and this is my music. You know, it's uh, it's crazy. I never thought I would get to this point ever. So I'm I'm happy that I'm getting here sooner rather than later. I'll I'll send you a preview. I think I think you like one song called History, which is probably my second or third single. Um, but History is a, I think an important song to me. Oh, and also Palm Trees in Hackney. You're gonna like that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I love the title already. Thank I'm, you. I'm not sure there are palm trees in Hackney, but maybe in your brain. No, in your... there are though. That's the crazy part. <laughs> I was living in Hackney during the pandemic and lockdown. I remember going on solo walks every day and I was fantasizing of two places, going back home, Saudi, then going to California, LA. Palm trees are very important in those two places. It's the national symbol of Saudi. It's like dates are our national fruit. 
And same thing with California and specifically LA. And I remember I was I would walk around Hackney and then I would I went if you go to the Hackney Tyrone Hall, it has four really huge palm trees in front of it. And a lot of the houses in the neighborhood randomly have palm trees. And I I found it really magical and an omen of um of me being at that time and place. And it was the first song that got me back. Palm trees in Hackney. Because I stopped music, by the way, for years. And I, I told everyone, don't talk to me about it. I don't want to do it. And that was the song that got me back into music. And that was the song that I wrote on a keyboard in my flat in Hackney that got me meetings and producers and songwriters and people wanting to work with me. So yes, there are palm trees in Hackney. Go and check it out. And you know, it's a thing. <laughs> I'm so going to go and check it out. I'm also so going to go and check your music out. Fahad, I want to thank you for your kind of poetic talking with us today. I think your story is wonderful. We all look forward to seeing what's next. And thank you so much for being on A Touch of Truth. Thank you, Jackie. I am honored to be on your show and I'm honored to know you and be your friend and, um, I, I appreciate you so much. I think more than you, you know. Touch of Truth with Jackie Cooper. A new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. Follow us at Touch of Truth Pod.